They say don't put all your eggs in one basket. Well, until the government initiated their top-secret Python plan in 1968, that's exactly what they were planning to do. Prior to Python, if nuclear war had threatened, the central government were going to scoop up their top guys and hurry them out into the West Country, where they'd be hidden away in the gigantic bunker at Corsham. Everyone would be there, from cooks and cleaning staff to the Prime Minister himself, supplemented by a small army of scientists, politicians, BBC staff, admin workers and medics. But someone must have then thought, hang on, is this such a good idea? Having everyone in one place where one hydrogen bomb, carefully targeted, could pulverise the entire bunker and wipe out everyone. That's right, even a huge bunker can't withstand a direct hit from a hydrogen bomb. Nothing can. That's why the Americans have some of their bunkers tucked away beneath mountains. Because they know that even a mountain won't keep you safe from a direct hit. All you can do is give your bunker the most protection you can by pushing it beneath a mountain and sitting it on top of huge metal springs to help it withstand the shockwave from any nearby explosion. So back to 1960s Britain. Was it a wise move to rush your top guys out to Wiltshire, having them all in the same place? Maybe in the old days, yeah, but in this thermonuclear age, this world-ending age? No, it now seemed naive and foolhardy. But what was the alternative? You can't stay in London during a nuclear war. Where else do you go? The answer was Python. Yes, the government had gone right off the idea of zooming their top team out of London and into Wiltshire. The Cuban Missile Crisis brought the vulnerabilities of the Corsham bunker into sharp focus. Although Corsham was never manned during Cuba, the question did arise, well, what if it had been? What if things had got so bad that we decided to start sending groups out to Corsham, getting it ready for nuclear war, getting it ready to receive the Prime Minister and his men? What if we did all that? And then, as happened with Cuba, things calmed down and we all had to go home again, rather sheepish. Relieved, of course, but sheepish nonetheless, because our cover would be blown. The secret of Corsham would be out. Everyone would know about the big giant government hideout in Wiltshire. So, just like that, you've lost your bunker. What then? So, thoughts were turning to some kind of alternative. And so the secret Python plan was created, and it was guarded by the codeword ACID. Before we go on, I need to say thank you to Mike Kenner. As I said on Twitter earlier today, Mike has done all the hard work in getting the secrets of Python gradually released to the public. His hard work and research and dogged freedom of information requests have gradually freed bits and pieces of Python for us across the years and Mike's put it all together in some spectacular nuclear jigsaw. So we all owe thanks to Mike for his work and as I said on Twitter, 
I'm just reading out the words here. Mike has done all the hard graft on Python. And you can find Mike on Twitter under the name Wellbright. The idea of Python was to do the opposite of what had been done before. Previously, you'd planned to shove everyone in one bunker, in one place. Now here comes Python, which is to disperse everyone, scatter them around the country, break them up into small teams and sprinkle them here and there. Some of them in army barracks, some of them out at sea, some of them in Welsh universities, some of them in Scottish castles. Divide them and scatter them, and surely some of them will survive the coming nuclear war and can then link up afterwards and start restoring some kind of order to ruined Britain. So Python saw the establishing of small groups, each headed by a government minister, who'd be sent off to secret locations across Britain to see out nuclear war. And the hope was, of course, that surviving groups could link up after the conflict when radiation levels had decreased sufficiently to allow movement. But if you had your little groups scattered to the four winds, each being spirited off to their top-secret protected accommodation, what do you do with your big, gigantic Corsham bunker? To quote Ned Flanders, that was a noodle scratcher. You're obviously not using it anymore because you've got your new top secret Python plan. But if you very obviously left Corsham empty, if there was a total and sudden cessation of all activity there, then might that not alert the baddies to your new plan and prompt them to start discovering your new plan? could do. And so the government used Corsham as a decoy. They kept maintaining it. They kept sending workmen in to turn over the supplies inside. Just in case any commies were lurking in the Wiltshire Hills or watching via satellite. But the government went even further than that. They didn't just keep Corsham going to fool any spies. They tried to fool their own people too. Only a very small and select number knew of the new Python plan. Everyone else was just allowed to bumble along with the Corsham idea, thinking it would still be the getaway location for central government in time of nuclear war. It was such a strong decoy story that most of the government staff believed it too. Here is an extract from a background note on Python sent from the Cabinet Office to Mike, which Mike has very kindly sent on to me. And it says, Knowledge of the Python concept was limited to a small circle of ministers and officials. A wider circle of individuals with limited access to machinery of government and war plans remained under the impression that the plan to activate Corsham during transition to war was still current. This reflected a deliberate policy to provide cover for the Python concept. Maintenance of communications and administrative facilities at Corsham continued. And there then follows a 
very brief paragraph which explains why we don't know everything about Python and, of course, therefore why Mike's work in revealing these fragments of it is so important. The Python plans that were valid from 1968 bear many similarities to plans that are still current. Thus, substantive documentation concerning Python, etc., remains sensitive. So your Python teams are out there, waiting for nuclear war to end, waiting for the radiation to subside, and hoping to survive. What then? If they do manage to link up with other groups, what would their role be after nuclear war? Roughly, they'd hope to take control of military forces in the UK, oversee foreign affairs, and coordinate the work of all those regional nuclear bunkers across the country who were trying to administer nuclear Britain. But we all know that military forces, foreign affairs, politics, control can't be done without food. Nothing can be done without food. Britain, after nuclear war, would need supplies. The procuring of food and fuel would be one of the most crucial things if Britain as a state was to endure. And so the Python groups wouldn't be the only teams hidden across the country. There would also be three teams called the United Kingdom Supply Agency. Like the Python teams, they would also scatter and hide and hope that at least one of them would survive and link up with any surviving Python groups after the war. But their focus would be on procuring and allocating supplies. If one of them managed to survive, the team would be in charge of assessing Britain's food supply and what damage had been done to it by the war. They would also try and assess the food requirements of each region, bearing in mind that there would be massive dislocation of population. Uh, Previously empty rural areas would, we can assume, be filled up with refugees from urban areas. And the teams would have to work on obtaining supplies from overseas, assuming you have overseas trading partners willing and able to provide those supplies. And they would work on obtaining those supplies, transporting them into the country and throughout the country, and then controlling and allocating them. A grim task for which it helps to have armed traffic wardens. There's an interesting story about the location of one of the UK supply agency groups. Like their Python pals, they'd have been scattered around the country, and one of them would have been out at sea. It was the group codenamed Whiskey who'd be at sea, sailing in Scotland's sea lochs on board a passenger ferry. The Whiskey group would have been flown by the RAF to Inverness Airport and onwards by rail to either Oban or Malague, where they'd then board their ferry. The ferry was operated by the company Caledonian McBrain, who still run the ferry services between Scotland's islands and mainland. But amongst the company's fleet were three quite strange ferries. Sharp-eyed passengers might have wondered why the Clansmen, the Hebrides and the Columba had massive guillotine-style doors which could seal the car deck. 
And they might have asked why the external doors and vents were airtight. And why the ferry had decontamination rooms with showers. And why the air pressure might be altered to repel external contamination. And why the exterior of the ship had sprinklers so that some awful substance, say fallout, could be washed away. These three strange ferries were built on the order of the Secretary of State for Scotland in 1964 and then chartered to Caledonian McBrain, where they sailed as ordinary car ferries. But if necessary, they could be taken back by the government where they would act as floating nuclear bunkers under the Python plant. Of course, these plans were never needed and the three strange nuclear ferries avoided being called to the wartime role. They carried on taking passengers and cars to the Scottish Islands until Caledonia McBrain sold them all in the 1980s. The clansmen went to Malta and then into service on the Red Sea. She was last seen abandoned off the coast of Sudan and her ghostly hulk can be spotted beneath the waves on Google Earth. The Hebrides was sold for demolition and went to Turkey. Only the Columba remains in Scottish waters, where she sails as the Hebridean Princess, having been sold in 1988 to Hebridean Island Cruises. The chairman of the company confirmed for me when I wrote an article about this for the Sunday Herald that she no longer has the ability to act as a floating nuclear bunker and that all of her nuclear features were removed prior to her sale. So the three Caledonia McBrain nuclear ships have gone their separate ways, but speculation remains as to why three were built. It's clear now that one of them was for use in the Python concept, but what about the other two? It has long been rumoured that the Queen would be evacuated on the Royal Yacht Britannia. But this would have been required under the Python plan for potentially one of the Python groups to flee on. So it's a reasonable assumption that she might have been given one of the Caledonia McBrain nuclear ferries. Indeed, the Queen is familiar with them. Having holidayed on the Hebridean Princess and its current owners display the royal warrant. That's the end of our quick look at Python. Mike did all the work in prizing these documents from the government, so any mistakes in compressing it into podcast form are mine. You can follow Mike on Twitter at Wellbright, or find me there at Julie A. McDowell. I'm also on Facebook under Nuclear Britain. And remember, you can support the podcast with a donation each month through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash Atomic Hobo. And this week, let me thank the following patrons. Tom, Martin Harder, Richard Hewitt, Liz, Debbie, Lisa Hughes, Sarah LeClaire, Jacqueline Brick, Charlie Connolly and Peter James Nicholson.